Welcome to the Fashion Your Passion podcast, your one-stop shop to finding your passion and living it out right now. I'm your host, Sammy Beatrice, a college student and passion coach committed to helping you, whether you're in school or working a nine-to-five, find your passion that you can do every single day and help you love your life a little bit more because of it. On this podcast, you will hear from successful guests as well as solo episodes from your host, all about tips on how to find your passion and how to implement it into your life, even when you feel like you don't have enough time to. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. We are in for a treat today in season five. We have Eddie, who is a former NCAA All-American runner, but is now an author and motivational speaker. I am super excited to welcome Eddie to the show. So Eddie, welcome. Hey, how's everybody doing? It's Fashion Your Passion. I love that name. Awesome. Yes, Thanks. thank Good you. Good way to rhyme passion. It's hard to rhyme passion with things. That's I like how you did that. Yes, yes. <laughs> it definitely was something that was a challenge, but I'm glad we made it happen. So can you just tell my listeners a little bit more about who you are, what exactly you do, and just your journey to get to becoming a speaker? I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and raised in the Midwest, moved around when I was a kid, I was an athlete. That was my main thing. I wanted to be an Olympian. I wanted a big dream was, oh, gold medal in the Olympics. Wanted to do that ever since I was nine. I watched in 1976, Edwin Moses, he's a hurdler, a 400 meter hurdler. He won the gold medal and I'm sitting there in my family by myself watching this and he got to stand on the podium. And I saw that for the first time. And there I was nine years old. And I was just captivated by it. I was like, and that became like this dream, this obsession. I want that to happen to me. I want to be on that podium and win that gold medal. And I used to pretend, I used to imagine it happening when I was little. After watching that, I used to just steal one of my dad's old medals. He was a runner and he had a box full of medals. I'd take one, go into the kitchen, stand on the chair and put the medal around my neck and pretend I was winning the gold medal. I used to do that all the time. So anyway, so fast forward, I was a good runner, a gifted runner. I went on to become a high school All-American. I got a full ride college scholarship to Loyola University, Chicago, became a three-time Division I NCAA All-American. I was the 169th American to run a mile under four minutes. I ran 358 in 1990, and that was a dream come true. That was a big goal of mine since I was in high school. Didn't happen until I was a senior in college. Ran professionally for a little while, ran for Nike, then ran for Reebok, and was a Reebok ambassador which meant I was an athlete that went around and raced with their gear on and would talk about their shoes and the stuff that they had. And so I did that for a little while and all gearing up to the 1992 Olympic Games. I made the Olympic trials, which was a big deal. Cut back two years earlier in 1990, when I first broke the four-minute mile, I was invited to run for the U.S. indoor team. And I got to represent our country indoors against Great Britain and Russia in a triangular championship indoor meet. And I won the gold medal for the US team there. And so in 1992, trying to make the Olympic team, I didn't make the team. But in 1990, when I won, I got to go up on the awards podium and they put the medal around my neck and they raised the flag and they did the whole thing. Now it wasn't the Olympics, not even close, but I was still running for the United States of America. And I got to experience the moment I dreamt about as a nine-year-old, even though it wasn't the Olympics, but it was like, in fact, my very first speech was around those two moments. Nine years old, standing on the chair, Back when I'm 22 years old in England, actually experiencing something like the dream. But my point was, it wasn't the Olympics. But I talk about, hey, I'll take it because the real essence in, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but the real essence in the fashion, your passion 
comes in your journey, doesn't come from your destination. So anyway, but my very first speech came. So then after running and not making the Olympic team, now I had to decide, okay, now what? Am I going to try again in four years? It's really hard to make the Olympics. <laughs> so it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. And here in the United States, if you're not one of the higher sponsored athletes and making a ton of money off of that. You got to get a job. You got to find a way to make your life work. And I realized I have to figure out a profession here. I don't know if this running thing is going to work the way I wanted it to. And so I started working at CNN in Chicago as a reporter in training, thinking I was wanting to maybe do that as a communication major. But my mom is a speaker. My dad is a consultant and they have their own company that they've been running for at the time, 20, 25 years. And my mom used to always think I was going to be a speaker like they were. We have four kids in our family. I'm the eldest son, but I'm the third kid. I have two older sisters. But they, out of all the personalities in our family, my family, my parents thought Eddie's the one who could do this. He could join our team and be part of this. And I never wanted to do that. I never thought about be a speaker. Like, what? Like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Although I had the personality for it and I was the captain of every team I was on. So I was naturally always the leader. So I knew a lot about this stuff. I mean, we kind of grew up in it with my parents. So my mom has a speech she's supposed to give this is when I'm working at CNN. And I knew at CNN, I knew I didn't want to do this with my life. I knew it was because the news was so negative. It was so heartbreaking. I'm a very emotional guy. I'm a very sensitive guy. I was having a hard time even handling like what we were going to be reporting on. It was really difficult for me. And I'm like, I don't think this is the world for me. I don't like this stuff. I don't like being around such negativity all the time. And so my mom supposed to give this talk to a bunch of high school leaders at a conference, about a thousand kids. And she gets sick. She gets the flu. And usually if that happens to you as a speaker, there's no sick days. I mean, you got to be really sick not to go show up. Like your friend in New York that had me there, if I wasn't able to do it, they'd be in a bad place without a speaker. Who's going to be their speaker? So there's really no sick days. But my mom was really sick and she couldn't find anyone else. So she calls me up like two days before. And she's like, you got to help me. And I go, what's the problem? She's like, I have to go give this talk. It's like an hour long talk, leadership group. I'm really sick. I'm not going to be able to do it. I can't find anyone else. Will you please do this for me? I'm like, do what? And she's like, speak to a thousand high school kids. I'm like, no way. Are you crazy? (laughs) A thousand high school kids? What, you want to kill me here? It's like, I don't want to do that. And she's like, please, I need your help. I I don't know where else to turn. And they're going to be in a bad place if someone doesn't show up. And it's not good for my career if I don't have someone show up. I'm like, all right. I go, well, what am I talking about? And she said, leadership. You know, I actually came home and was talking to her. And she gives me a bunch of note cards. And she's like, here, here's what you're going to talk about. And I've seen my mother speak a thousand times. I know what her story is. I know what she does. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, this is your stuff. And she's like, well, yeah, it's the basic stuff I want you to talk about. I'm like, I don't want to talk about your stuff. Let me talk about my stuff. And she's like, well, what's your stuff? What is that? I go, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And she's like, no, no, you can't go and just figure it out. Like, we need to see what you're going to do. I'm like, all right. I go, what do you want me to do? So I come back tomorrow because the speech is in two days. Come back tomorrow and show your father and me what you plan on doing. And we'll let you know if it's okay. Like, okay. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to use music in my presentations. And if you look me up at eddiespeak.com or you look me up on YouTube, you'll see I dance, I use music. Like, I love movies. And so when you're at a movie, what do they utilize to bring out the emotion? They use music. They have a musical score. They have a soundtrack. There's lots of music that makes you feel something. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to, as I'm telling a story, 
add music to it, have music be in the background or kind of exemplify the moment or what you're feeling. And I thought that would be a neat idea. Now, you got to understand, I think I'm just filling in once for my mom, just going to go do this and be done with it. And she's going to pay me. Well, that was a big key. Yeah. She's like, I'll give you 500 bucks. I'm like, all right, I'm in 500 bucks for an hour. That's great. So that's why I decided to do it. I forgot that part. And so I put together this thing. Now, if you can see back here behind me, now this is just my little music studio. I don't know if you can see so much of it down there, but that's where I have my CD recorder and my receiver. I have my double dual deck CD player. That's where I do my mixing and do my stuff with music for my speeches. I'm down in my office where I do that. It's a little studio. So, but back then I didn't have any, you didn't have any of this equipment. And then all the stuff now goes on an iPod and everything's on there. Back then, I had a cassette player. And I don't even know if your audience, being as young as you guys are, know what a cassette player is. But the reason I had a cassette player was because it had a remote control. And I had to start and stop the music by pointing the remote at the thing to play the music to the stories I was telling. And so I put together this whole idea for the speech. And I just kind of talked a little bit about it. I started with when I was nine, having the dream of being the Olympic gold medalist and I talked about things in between. I did some dancing. I love to dance. I'm a good dancer. You can see that online too. And then at the end of the speech, I reenacted the actual race in England where I won standing on the podium. And at the end, I go, now, where have I seen this before? Nine years old, dreaming of a moment like that. I go, now, it wasn't the Olympics, but I'll take it. I go, look where I was because of the dream that kept me moving towards something. So the theme of the presentation was Your life is in the journey. It's in the things that you're doing right now and how you're living today. And talk about fashion, your passion. Okay, so that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get people to be passionate about their lives and what they're doing. And you're probably searching for that in your own life. We all are. So anyway, so the next day I go to my parents' house and I set up my little home stereo. I got my little cassette player and my remote in my hand and I start doing the speech. And when I finished, my parents had been in this business for a long time. And they looked at me, they were like, they're blown away. They were like, wow. They were like, that was spectacular. And she's like, I've never seen anyone speak the way you're doing with music. How'd you do that? It was all timing, timing with music and starting and stopping with a cassette player. You guys don't even know. It had a little counter. So the counter you had to put back at zero and it would just start counting. There was no like tracks. You couldn't advance to another track. It was just all on one piece of tape. So in between different stories and different pieces of music, I had to record a second or two of silence to get to the next thing. And I go to the counter. Oh, that's where the next one starts. I have a little notebook that told me where everything started. I mean, that's how complicated it was, but that's all we knew back then. That's all we had. So it wasn't complicated. It's just what there was. Oh, anyway, well, my mom was always very positive, very, you can't do anything wrong with my mom. She loves you. You're amazing. But my dad is very critical. And so my mom was like, that was amazing. And my dad was like, that was awesome. So that's why I knew I had something. He's like, I'm not even kidding. I've never seen anyone do it like that either. Nowadays, people use that style. I've never seen anyone do it before I did it. I think I kind of pioneered a lot of that way. I'm not saying I'm not the first one. I just never saw it before. It certainly wasn't common. Now people use all kinds of music and they use PowerPoints and they use video. But I did this back in 1992, thinking I'm only going to be doing it once, get my 500 bucks, make sure my mom doesn't get in trouble and I'll never do it again. So I got the compliments from them. So the next day I go and I give the talk. Now, here's what I wasn't prepared for. How much I loved it when I was in the middle of it. Like I'm speaking. I was a guy that I got fired from every job I had in high school, fired until I started my own business with my buddy. 
that was the only thing I seemed to like. But I was fired at Burger King, fired at KFC, fired at Wendy's, fired as a dishwasher at a bakery because they wouldn't let me listen to my Walkman. You guys know what a Walkman is? It's like our headphones back in the day and our little tape players. I just get fired because I learned early on, like, I don't like people telling me what to do. And I really hated working on a clock, like working from nine to five or from eight to four or whatever it was. It would drive me crazy because it felt like the days would last forever. Like an hour would go by, it felt like 10 hours. And I would just be going crazy in those kind of jobs. So I never found a job. Then I go to CNN. I got that gig because I was a great runner from Chicago and the guy in charge of hiring knew who I was. I should have never gotten that opportunity because I didn't have experience. But he loved talking about running, so he hired me. And here's another great opportunity, great opportunity, CNN when you're 22 years old. And I hated it. I'm like, nope, this ain't it either. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm like, And then I do the speech. And I'm giving this speech. And I just remember being so in the moment. And I can tell the students like it, like they're enjoying it. And I'm having a ball. I'm like, I can't believe it. This is an amazing feeling. And a big part of my life, how I was raised and what I wanted to be a part of my life was like, you talk about passion. I want to feel passion in what I do. And I want to feel like I'm making a difference in the world. I want to feel like I'm bringing something positive to somebody's life. That was really important to me. And this checked all those boxes. And when I finished, this was a conference where, much like the, what your friend saw me at, which was, I think that was student council, that schools from all over the state coming to a thing. And then what's great about that for a speaker is now you get exposure to all those people from all those different schools, which could mean a lot of jobs for you if they want to hire you. So when I finished that first speech, I had like four or five teachers that were in the audience from different schools came up to me. They said, wow, that was awesome. That was really unique. I've never seen anyone do what you just did like that. Like, can you come to our school and do that? Now you got to understand, I don't even know this is a career. I mean, I know what my parents did, but I didn't know they could do this stuff in schools and do, I'm like, you want me to come talk? Like, they're like, yeah, what do you charge? I'm like, and at the time, I, I said $500. I didn't know what to say. My mom was paying me. I had no idea. And that's where I started. I mean, what I make today is amazing. But I started and I moved my way up. But back then, that's what you got. And I started getting asked to go give these talks. Now, here I am at CNN. And I got another request to go speak. So I kept making up excuses. I got another dentist appointment. Oh, I got to go to the doctor today. Just lying. So I couldn't wait to go give those speeches. And I kept getting asked to do them. And so eventually CNN's like, you're missing too much work. And I just had to fess up to them and tell them I found something else. I'm going to do this instead. And so my parents who had the company, they said, come join us. Now, my big thing was, remember, I didn't do well with bosses. I don't like people telling me what to do. And I don't want to work on a clock. I want to do my own schedule. So I sat down with my dad and I said, okay, here's the deal. I will do this. I'll come work for the company if you leave me alone. Let me do my thing the way I want. And my dad's like, here's the numbers. Here's the paycheck, what you're going to get. Here's the money you got to sell, what you got to bring in to take care of your insurance, your paycheck, blah, 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 blah. If you're doing your, hitting your numbers, I don't care what you do. You can do whatever you want as long as you're hitting your numbers. And I hit my numbers from that moment till today. And here we are 28 years later. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, my family company is now done. It stopped. I still speak. I still have my own little thing that I've been doing on the side with my family company. So I've just continued that. I'm going to move all that over into the, my other business that I've been doing because I'm not willing to give this up. But unfortunately, the pandemic has really slowed things down in our industry a lot because we deal in crowds. Now there's virtual things like this. I've been doing a number of those. I just got hired today to do four more coming up in April and May, but it just hasn't been as much work. 
And so it's been a really difficult time for, you know, obviously everybody and some it's hitting harder than others. In some industries like the speaking world, it's hit pretty hard. So you have to learn to innovate and adjust or you're going to be gone. So that's the story on how I got into speaking and that's how it happened. I think there's so much to unpack with that. I have so many questions and just so many points, but with COVID and everything, like, yes, like I'm friends with a bunch of speakers and they're like, yeah, I haven't been able to do as much and I just want to do more. And a lot of them have had like other jobs that they got let go from because of the pandemic as well. And so it's just been a little crazy time for everyone, especially speakers. I could not even imagine, but I want to start with like sort of the beginning of your story because you had this dream that sort of led you from that age of nine all the way until after college pretty much and I want to touch on that because I feel like a lot of people may not have a dream like that that's pushing them and driving them for so many years and so what would you say to that person who's like I just don't have anything that I want to do so badly whether they imagined it at nine or whether they're trying to imagine it now at 18, 19, 20, like what would you say to that person so that they have something in them to like move them forward and push them forward? I'm doing something later today with my son, 19 years old. He's in junior college and he's up in his room right now because he's exactly that person. I have a personal experience where just two days ago, we sat down and we talked. Okay. And I'm like, all right, well, what do you want? I'm on my second book right now called the four minute formula. And what that's about, it's going to come out in May, May 6th, it's going to come out. That's the anniversary of the very first sub four minute mile. Because what I discovered in being able to break the four minute mile, which is something that very few people have been able to do, I discovered a seven step process on how to create the life that you want. Well, the first step is what do you want and why? Before you can go to the second step or the third step, well, you've got to get past the first step. So I said to my son, like, what do you want? And what's your goal? What's your dream? He doesn't have one. His big answer is, I don't know, which is totally okay. A lot of people are like that, especially your age. So what we're doing later today is we're going to break it down into smaller action plans, smaller goals, smaller things. So for instance, what I'm going to do with him, his main focus then right now is to do the very best he can in the classes that he has. Okay. Because we don't know where this is going to lead and you don't know yet what you want. Now he's in junior college because of the pandemic and not wanting to send them off somewhere. And he also had pre-existing stuff with asthma. So he's someone that really we got to protect from the COVID and what that can do. So he just stayed home. And so now our focus is going to be, okay, then just baby steps, one step at a time. What's your first priority? If you don't know what your big dream is, your big goal, that's fine. A lot of people don't. Okay. You'll get there. Trust me, you'll get there. You'll figure it out. But you're going to figure it out by doing the baby steps. And the baby steps is start with the first priority. So his first priority, well, obviously, all of our first priority and why we're all, you know, you're sitting there and I'm sitting in my basement is health. Okay. If you don't have your health, if you, you don't have anything. So you've got to take care of yourself and you got to be safe. Okay. Well, when it comes to our goals and dreams and trying to figure that out, the first priority then is, okay, your grades, your classes are key. You've got to do the very best you can to open up opportunities for it. So that's the whole point of college in the first place. There's a couple of points. One of them being like, there's nothing like the experience of college. I mean, it's amazing. I feel so bad for you guys right now because the part about college that's probably one of the most beneficial when it comes to undergrad is the social element and what you learn about yourself and about others just by being around each other for the first time on your own. You know, I don't know if your parents there, you don't have everyone tell you what to do. You're now kind of living your life on your terms. And that's an incredible opportunity for growth and for understanding. 
and for identity. Okay. And so it's weird for you guys right now because you can't really interact all that much. I mean, I mean, some kids, obviously we've seen some colleges are doing it and some kids are in, and they're paying a price and it's dangerous, but for him, so his priority then if he's at home doing online virtual college, it's okay. Do the best you can get the best grades you can. And let's start with that. And then now what interests you? What are the things that you like to do? You don't have to get paid. You just do on your own. So he's really big into, he loves animation. He loves being creative and he loves video and editing. Like he edits all my stuff. He's great at editing videos and gaming. So these are his loves. These are his passions. Passion, your passion. That's how you know what you're passionate about. He loves those things. Okay. Well, in college, you also got to take care of certain classes before you can get to the stuff you want to do. It's called your core classes. So that's where he's in the middle of right now with a couple of electives that he likes to do. So we're slowly getting to that. So that's the first step of like trying to figure out what you love. And then we're just going to keep it at that little chapter right now. Let's just focus on getting the best grades you can in these areas. And then when we get to the next step, we'll work on the next step. So I think for people that don't know what it is they want, look at what's right in front of you and try to keep it simple. Try to keep it simple. Like I, you know, I work a lot with people that want to lose weight, people that want to get in shape because I know a lot about that. Well, the very first thing when I set up their plan for what to do, the first couple of weeks, like this is too easy. I'm like, good. It's supposed to be. Don't worry. It's going to get tougher, but we've got to build to that. So just like in anything in life, if you don't know what it is you want to do, then look at what's right in front of you, the stuff you have to get done. And now what do I need to do to get this done to the best of my ability? Am I doing the things that I need to do to get this part done? Because the rest will come. You will figure it out. It will happen. And don't put too much pressure on yourself to try to figure it out. You will know. It's like people say all the time, you're going to get married or you're going to find that significant someone that you're going to spend your life with. Well, how do you know they're the one? And I tell people all the time, you know when you don't know. Okay. Okay. When you're with someone and you see all these red flags or some just don't feel right. Like, you know, that that's probably not the right one. The one that feels right, feels right. And you'll experience that. And that's when it comes to your career and your dreams and things like that. Because what's funny is like, yeah, I had the dream of wanting to win that gold medal, but I didn't like running. I was an athlete. I love baseball, basketball, football, running. You go on, you run for miles by yourself. Like that's boring. I wasn't in love with the sport, but I was the best. I would win all the time. And that's the thing I loved. I love the competition. I love being special. I like being good at something. And so it's tricky. I don't want anyone out there listening to get too caught up on your goals and your dreams. I mean, that's, you know, it can help to start moving you towards something. But the key is how do you live your best life now, today? There are things you got to understand about you and your life and what you do and what you don't do that's creating this experience you're calling your life. And if you can learn how to try to live this the best way I know how and try to really work on myself and feeling good about me. And that means knowing you're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw up. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to suffer. It's going to hurt sometimes. you got to go into life knowing that's part of it. Okay. That's part of the steps if you want to get to those, but so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So to answer your question and I'll do this, boy, I'll go off on 20 tangents, man. It's like, that's that ADD I think I got, but to uh, answer your question, it's like stick with what's right in front of you. Know what you got to get done now that's going to lead you to the next chapter, the next phase, and just go from there. But keep it simple. Don't try to make it too difficult at first. That's why I don't want clients that I work with that want to get in better shape. Okay, first it comes down to your diet and what you're eating. And now the exercise is like, it's important, but it's not as important as you think. What's more important is what you're putting into your body. And that starts with your thoughts. 
that starts with what am I putting into my brain? I mean, because most of the people that I work with that want to get in better shape, we come to realize the overeating and what they're doing is coming from stress. It's coming from not feeling happy, not feeling fulfilled, and it's comfort. So food becomes a comfort and you find yourself unconsciously eating so often throughout the day, you don't even realize you're doing it. And then it's like, oh, okay, I need to get in touch with that. Why do I do that? Like, what's triggering that in me? And what could I replace it with to not do that? Okay, well, it starts with that overall sense of who you are and how you feel about yourself. And, and also understand, like, where do I want to get to? What's the point if I want to be in shape? That's different for everybody. Some person might love the shape that they're in and be like, great, then you're all set. Don't be what someone else expects you to be or don't base it on, like, what society's telling you to be. What feels right for you? What makes you feel fulfilled? And that's going to be the key. Yeah, I think you dropped so many, so many golden nuggets just now. And I do that. <laughs> Not that they're golden nuggets, but I go off, boys. <laughs> like, like, can you shut up for a second so I can speak? I got questions here. Like, no, oh no, no, no. It was so good because you gave so many different things. And I think... I feel like I need to like just audit my life again based off what you just said. You made it just so simple and you broke it down in a way that pretty much anyone could understand, but also pretty much anyone could feel like they're able to do. I feel like a lot of the time, especially in like this sort of personal development industry, it's like it's saturated with like this make your five year self, make your 10 year self and like keep going and going and going. But it's like, no, it's like, what is happening with you right now? And like, that's why I emphasize passion as like the thing that makes you the happiest right now. The thing that you love to do in this moment. Listen to your voice right now. You are passionate about what you're doing right now. You can tell. I can hear it in your voice. You can hear it in the energy that's coming off of you. That's what passion is. It's just enthusiasm and energy. It's like not only do you believe in what you're doing, you're offering something good to the world. You're contributing something. You're sharing from within yourself and you can hear it. It's coming out of your eyes. It's coming out of your voice. It's coming out of who you are. And that's when you're around it, you can recognize it. So that's the feeling you want to have. So you know the experience of passion. Now you've got to recognize it in other things. Where else do I feel this way? Or what do I need to do to feel this way? Because there are things you can do. We all have it within us. We just don't recognize it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And especially when, like you mentioned, like you fill your head with like the thoughts that like aren't moving you forward, right? It's like maybe you've moved one step forward, but your thoughts are taking you two steps back. It's like you need to rework that in order to be able to have some sort of like winning mindset in a sense. And so do you have any like sort of like mindset hacks in a way for people to sort of... I'm going to ask you three questions right now. I don't want you to answer yes or no. I want you to raise your hand means yes and keep your hand down if it means no. Question number one, let's imagine you're an audience here. Here's what I say to the audience. How many people in here can sing? Because if you're going to answer yes, raise your hand. If you're going to not answer yes, you're going to say no, just keep your hand down. Okay. Question two, how many people in here can draw? Okay, so imagine people all around you and your, your hands down. Question three, how many people in here can dance? Okay, so, so this is just geared at you, but I did this in New York, I'm sure. Right, let me ask you this. Now, Sammy's your name, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Sammy, let me ask you this. In any of the three questions I just gave you, did I ask whether you could do any of those three things well or good? Mm-mm. What did I ask? If you can do them at all. Can you do them? I mean, I guess so. Can you sing? Are you capable yeah, sh- of singing? Sure. Of course you are. (laughs) You can draw and you can dance. I didn't ask you if you thought you're good at it. We limit ourselves. And when you heard the question, what you heard inside of you is like, I'm not good enough to raise my hand. or I'm not good at singing, so I'm not going to raise my hand. That's not what the question was. So notice how we create the experience of our life through how we think about ourselves. And first of all, that's normal. And when I hate about the self, I mean, there's a lot of things I hate about this (laughs) industry I'm in. 
because there's a lot of BS out there. There's a lot of like false gurus and people act like they're going to fix your life because they have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Be wary of anyone that tries to tell you here, follow my 10 steps to complete happiness and you will be. No, I have a formula I think can help you, can give you some suggestions. From what I've learned, I've been writing this book for 10 years. So I've got some interesting information here that I think can help you. But will it help you? Well, I don't know what you're going to do with it. I don't know how you're going to receive it. I don't know what your thought process is. I don't know your story. I don't know how you think and feel about yourself, your identity. I don't know any of those things. I know that this book can help you. You take that journey to discover those things and you make the decisions on how to make your life better or not. But the idea here is to focus on, wow, how often do I limit myself from experiencing a better life, the joy of my life? Some of us recognize ourselves more in pain than we do in happiness. And that was me for a lot of years. And I've been doing this work. See, I have both though, that yin and yang, like we all do inside of us. But the one part of I had inside of me was sometimes I felt like I was so self-critical, self-judgmental, like, and that kind of friend, like, you need something, I'll be there for you. I'm loving, I'm compassionate, I'm forgiving. I'm a great friend to have. Then I started thinking about the way I treat myself. And it was nothing like the way I treated the people I love in my life, which meant I wasn't being very loving to me. Okay, wow. See, awareness is the key to transformation. Before you can change or get better or to grow, you got to first be aware that there's something you're doing that's keeping that from happening. And no one can tell you that. You've got to come to that. And each of us have to take that inward journey to try to discover wow, what ways am I holding myself back? He's right. I didn't raise my hand on any of those three because I had a limiting belief that I'm not good enough. Okay, well, how often are we thinking that? I mean, think about that. Now, a lot of this stuff comes from a time you had no say in it. Zero to five are the biggest years of your life in terms of what you're going to come out thinking, believing, how your perspective of yourself, of the world, before you even know consciously what the heck's even going on. It's the people around you. It's the environment and how they're treating you. Now, there's a genetic element too, which I believe in. There's a genetic element that some people are just like my wife. She's a happy person. I'm not a naturally happy person. I call her sunshine because she's a happy person. I mean, she just is. And there's actually been research now that genetically, there are people wired for happiness more than others. I totally believe that because I experience it. Doesn't mean I can't work on my own happiness and trying to feel more joy. One of the keys to doing that is surround yourself with happy people. Think about the people you know that aren't happy, people that complain all the time, people that are negative all the time, pessimistic. That's what was so sad about our past president, in my opinion, was this guy. It was all negativity. It was all so much, oh, and it just blows me away how so many people have followed that lead because it was so destructive, so combative, so me against you, not collaboration, not love and compassion and empathy. It's no, this is right and this is wrong. And not to say that there aren't some absolutes in life. Okay, maybe there are, but see, I'm going way off on a tangent here. But the idea though is that there is a genetic code that some are wired for happiness, but there are things that have happened to us. Like, so for instance, my mom, my earliest memory, I talk about this in one of my speeches. When I was three years old, she had a complete nervous breakdown right in front of me. And I was three. My sisters ran out of the house to go and get help. My dad was on the road off at work and I'm bouncing on the bed and my mom is fetal position, shaking on the bed, having a nervous breakdown. We didn't know what the hell was going on. I thought she was dying. It's my earliest memory. Then they took my mom away, kept her in the hospital for a couple of days. She comes home, 
she becomes an agoraphobic. I don't know if you know what that is, but this is a person that won't leave their home. Like we're, a lot of us are agoraphobic these days, but, but they choose not to leave that. She barely left her bedroom because she was experiencing severe panic attacks and anxiety. And this is 1970 to 1973, 74. They didn't have the incredible medication or technology or things today that they do to help people. But those years played a huge role in my life because I was a little boy. Here's my hero, my mother. And she was not emotionally able to be there for us because she was too messed up. That's how she became a speaker. She got through that stuff. She overcame it. And that's what she started talking about with other people. So she's one of my heroes today. But those years had a deep impact on me. You know, one of my biggest fears is abandonment, rejection. Someone doesn't love me. Someone was going to reject me. I'm going to be left alone because I experienced that as a kid, not consciously knowing what's going on. It was just a feeling that you had like, my mom is so sad. My mom, it's no wonder that I'm happiest when everybody around me is happy. And now that can be dangerous too. It can't always be about everybody else. But I'm like the guy, that's why I'm great with parties. I'm great with like, let Eddie run it because it's going to be awesome. He's going to make it so fun. You know what I mean? That's why I'm good at speaking because I put a lot of effort into making the audience's experience something they're going to love because that matters so much to me because I could not stand if you rejected me. Well, that comes from all that crap that happened to me and my family and our dynamic and that was just part of my fabric before I even knew what was going on. And it took me years to figure that out. That's where that came from. And I'm in this world talking about this stuff all the time. Most people aren't. I can imagine how hard it is for people that are just trying to make their lives work every day and trying to pay their bills and take care of their family. Like, how much time is there to really think about that? I'm always thinking about this stuff because I got to talk about it. And I still struggled for many years with it. So I guess part of what I'm saying is it's okay, too, to struggle. Don't beat yourself up all the time that you're not perfect. You don't do everything just right. It's like, duh, none of us do. And if you can be more loving to yourself and forgiving, that's the key word. Think about people you've forgiven in your life and that you've done that. Well, you've done that for that relationship, but you've also done it for you. So you can let it go. But then what do you do when you're the one that hurts you? Do you forgive? Do you forgive yourself for some of the things that you've done that maybe you regret or you feel bad about? Because if you don't and you beat yourself up about it, it's going to come out in the way that you live. It's going to come out in the way you treat yourself. It's not like you wake up every day. I'm not worthy. It's not like that. It's a feeling. It's a sense of self. And of course you're worthy. Why wouldn't you be? We all make mistakes. We're not perfect. I guess the key is, can I learn from those mistakes? Can I not repeat them? If I can really forgive and let go, can I move forward? And then can I be more empathic with the people around me? Because think of how judgmental we get with everybody around us too. That's not the way that's going to nurture any relationship. And it's certainly not going to be good for you or for that person. When we get so judgmental of someone else's, now there are people that do things like I was talking about our last president. I don't agree with so much of what happened there, but he's also the type of personality where it's like, he's not going to take any accountability. And so if you get relationships like that and the person's never going to take any accountability or say like, yeah, what can I do to make this better? If it's always on you, go find another friend because that person is going to put you through the ringer because that's just how they've learned how to cope. Nothing's their fault. Never ask for forgiveness because I never did anything wrong. Never say I'm sorry because I never did anything wrong. It's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. Well, that's a dangerous place to be in with somebody because 
there's no room for growth. Yeah, a lot of like subconscious thinking and stuff like that, for sure. Definitely not in the conscious mind. It's been ingrained for however many years you've been experiencing it. So before we roll into the final question of this interview, tell people where they can find you on the web, on social, just all the places. Yeah, my website is everything's Eddie speak because my last name is Eddie Slowikowski, which no one can spell. People can barely remember it. They can barely pronounce it. So I made it. What do I do? I speak. No S on the end. So it's Eddie, E-D-D-I-E, speak, S-P-E-A-K. Everything is that. So eddiespeak.com is my website. On all the social media, I'm under at eddiespeak. That's pretty easy to find. I'm trying to learn the social media world, man. I'm 53 years old, so it's out of our comfort zone. I wish I was better at it because I like to get a bigger following. I just don't pay enough attention to all that stuff, even though I have a daughter that's 17 who's like really into it. She's always trying to teach me like how to do it. But like TikTok is the big thing. I got an account, but I think I got two things on there. And it would be a great way to reach this audience of young people, but I got to work on that. But I'm out there if you want to find me in eddiespeak.com if you want to hire me. I do a lot of virtual stuff too. I do a lot of coaching, personal coaching, life coaching stuff. If anyone's ever interested in that, any way I can be of service, I try to find a way to do it. Yeah, for sure. And everything pretty much will be linked down below. So go check out the show notes. For the last question of the podcast, this is the question I've asked every single guest who has ever been on. So about 70 something guests so far. Based off of the title of this podcast, which is Fashion Your Passion, what is one tip that you would give those who are dreaming based off of how you have fashioned your passion? Well, like I said earlier, when you was talking, I was noticing the passion coming off of you recognize in life when you're feeling passionate, like become consciously connected to a moment you're passionate about something. I mean, the problem is with passion, it's hard to be consciously connected to it because we're so in the moment when it's happening. We're just there. And that's great. That's why it feels so good because you're just there. You're experiencing it and you're not thinking about it. It's just happening. But try to think about it as it's happening and try to make a conscious connection. Okay, what am I doing that's helping to create this feeling, this experience. What is it that's happening in my world, my inner world and happening around me? Because I believe the more you can become familiar with and recognize what brings you that passion, that joy, the more you can start to realize how to replicate it more in your life, what things need to be there. It's like one thing I did during the pandemic. I love the show called The Sopranos. It's one of my favorite shows. I've watched it 10 times over. And one of the things they make in there is called Baked Ziti. And I've always been like, that looks really good. And I decided in the pandemic, I'm going to learn how to make baked ziti. I found a recipe. This woman online takes you through a whole video. So it's just like the passion. It's about the ingredients. There are ingredients that create the passion. And when you learn how to cook those ingredients in your life, you're going to come out with this great recipe and this great product of something that's delicious, like passion. So I learned how to make baked ziti. So every Thursday night, I make baked ziti in the house and we all family comes together and we don't eat at the table every night of the week, but couple times a week and Thursday is a big one. Always make big ziti. So never stop learning. Never stop trying to grow. Be kind and loving and compassionate to yourself. Be forgiving with yourself. These are the ingredients that are going to allow for passion to happen. If you don't feel worthy, you're not going to experience a passionate life. You are worthy. Get rid of any of those negative self-defeating thoughts to tell you you're not because it's a bunch of crap. It's just something you're deciding to embrace when you don't have to. Don't attach yourself to those things that make you feel lousy about yourself. Learn to really let it go. And those thoughts are going to still come in. 
But just like one thing I've learned in meditation and with Buddhism that I really enjoy and stuff like that is like, just like the weather, think of it like a cloud coming in, don't attach, notice it, there it is, and watch it go. If you don't attach to that cloud, it just goes by and then comes another cloud. That's what the thoughts do all day long. It's the ones we attach to that we embrace that we become. So try to pay attention to what that is. And when passion is there, connect to it. Yes, yes. Eddie, thank you so much for such a powerful conversation. And for those of you listening, I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in once again to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. I hope you learned something from this episode. And if you did, don't forget to screenshot you listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, and tag me at Fashion Your Passion podcast. I love hearing what you learned. As well, do not forget to scroll down and leave a rating and review. I love to read those too and know what you guys are thinking about the podcast. Be sure to tell all of your friends about this podcast because I want to spread this to as many teens as possible. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week.